Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Martin Rothwell. Good afternoon, Martin. I was about to say good morning, but yeah, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, Yas. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, good. Really good, yeah. Martin, I'm really excited for this one. Um, obviously, you know, we're hopefully, um, we're going to explore a conversation that takes us out of the box of typical thinking today but um, before we get to that maybe a brief insight around who you are and what you do and we'll go from there uh yeah yeah well firstly yeah great great to be here thanks for the invite uh yeah looking forward to the chat so um yeah i'm, I'm currently uh, or for the past sort of 10 years i've worked at sheffield hallam university uh lecturer and research um focus on sport coaching and performance uh so really interesting in like coaching practice design uh, that type of thing and could conduct research in that area as well and um yeah i've been a coach probably i don't know maybe i don't know 15 years maybe in rugby league so a little bit different to i know you work in football yes but yeah a bit different to that but yeah and just worked across the pathway really uh started with coaching children um and then sort of moved along the pathway more so with adults more recently yeah so yeah just a, a range of different experiences really i suppose i, I guess you know there's a, there's a lot in there um i think first and foremost it's important for us to understand that you know how much we can maybe learn from coaches of different sports and different backgrounds and what that kind of you know I think quite often we can be quite segregated, can't we, across the different sports, but there's actually so much good stuff going across it. So before we get into that side of things, what took you down the path of academia? Um, <laughs> so it's like been in, in a job interview. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I suppose what it was, um, I could pinpoint it actually. Um, when would it have been now? Say 2012. I was working for the Rugby Football League and I, I was running a, a national project where we were looking at um, changing the game that seven to 11-year-olds played. So I, I think you guys in football, you've done something similar. I think it was actually, I know it was Nick Levet at the time. Um, so I used to speak to him quite a bit about the challenges he was experiencing doing a similar project. So, yeah, essentially we're trying to change game for seven to 11 year olds just to make it more inclusive uh more opportunities to sort of touch the ball this sort of thing um so making it essentially more child-centered and i commissioned a research project with leeds beckett um and i really got interested just in more the research side um at the same time actually 
linked to your previous point about sort of cross pollination between sports. I was I was doing a master's degree at UCLan, um, and there was a load like we had motorsport coaches, um, hockey, field hockey, basketball, a whole range of different um, sports. So I, I was getting more interested in academia, obviously the academic sort of literature around coaching, quite vast. So just had a just started to develop a, a real interest, and then working with Leeds Beckett on this uh, commission project, this research project, it sort of really ignited my sort of interest even further. So, and then from there, yeah, then I got a role at um, Sheffield Hallam. So. So yeah, I suppose that that's it really. As yeah, the, that's how I sort of got more interest in academia and wanted to work there. And I think it's it's good. You know, I think it's great that you know there's so many different avenues in which we can kind of move into as co- you know a coaching practitioners and how we link the research to that. Because obviously, you know, long gone are the days now where it was just about the coaching qualification. It's about continuing de- continuing developing and getting getting those other bits in there. So I guess you know from from that standpoint. I think it's really important to understand that there is so many different areas that we can kind of explore and in, in particular conversation that I've been having with a lot of people recently is that not every coach has to do everything um, and we're all going to have you know kind of areas of interest and, and preferences and it's okay to have that but also it's okay to, for us to kind of become, become maybe if you like um, specialists in different areas and I think that's definitely one of the things that I've you know I've said that the, the big changes within the coach education over the last 10 years, certainly in football, have kind of um, led towards where we have got a bit of a more of a, a landscape where there's different specialist coaches across different areas of the game, whether that be, you know, working with seven to 11s in the foundation phase, whether it be working with, you know, older players or whether that actually just be, you know, specific phases of the game. So I guess for, from that standpoint, what what are the biggest changes that you've seen in your, in your pathway since you started coaching? Yeah. Well, well, it's a great point because I think sometimes coaching or the profession of coaching, which I know it's quite young, is done a bit of a disservice because it certainly if you work in a performance uh, environment, you need to have, well, the list is endless, but you need to understand strength and conditioning, physiology, psychology, biomechanics, skill acquisition, you know, the list goes on and on, like, so in in response to your question, I think it's an appreciation or from my perspective, an appreciation of all the different sub-disciplines that clearly you're not going to be an, an expert in across all of them, but you need to be aware of different things because, you know, an individual or a team's development is multifaceted. It isn't just getting better at maybe what would, you know, a traditional sense of technical skills. It's, it's a whole range of different things. Do you know what I mean? So I just think what I've seen is probably there's more of appreciation of um, the sort of multidisciplinary perspective on improving performance. Yeah. And I, but I think that's a big challenge. Uh, our coaches cope with that and deal with it, certainly at a performance end. Yeah. So just to, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And, you know, there's some of the challenges that do exist because obviously, you know, I can appreciate you know the I guess the the research element side of it. You know, having having gone through doing a master's recently myself, and I'm we're definitely seeing that certainly in football, and I'm 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 assuming it would be not too different in rugby as well. The generations of coaches seem to be getting younger and younger. Um, 
there seems to be more people getting sports coaching degrees or or some sort of degree related to coaching. <clears throat> and the, I guess the education piece is so different to the point where, like I said, you know, we, we had a brief kind of a conversation about this off air in that maybe 15, 20, 30 years ago, coaches of that generation that might still be around probably had a, hev a heavily focused lens around the technical, tactical pieces of the game, um, probably more you know, on the physical elements of the game. Whereas now it's much more about developing the the environment and creating an environment for the individual developing. What what, what are your thoughts on that as a whole? Um, yeah, well, another great question, Yaz. I think, I don't know, I might be a bit left field here, but I think, um, I think this traditional idea where I suppose high performance, I'm not just talking football or rugby, I'm just across sports. I think this classical focus on like, learning and acquiring skills um i don't know i'm not so sure that's that's maybe the how do i how do i phrase this i think sometimes we might be looking in the wrong area or focusing on developing these these skills or acquiring these skills that are not necessarily going to improve a player's ability to play football netball hockey whatever whatever it might be and i think well, I say I think I just my persuasion or bias would be towards more developing people that understand how to play the game better, better synergies between individuals, between opposition players. So I'm I'm specifically talking invasion sports, team sports. Yeah. Um so I so I think traditionally or we do see a strong focus on this idea that we can acquire a skill that would make us better. And what I tend to see a lot of is then what that might manifest in practice is that we we spend a lot of time focusing on these individual skills out of context. And I think that's a big problem for developing players, which mm. I don't know if that sort of answers a party question, but sorry, was you going to... No, no, I was just, just going to say, I'm just thinking out loud then, you know, is seems not too dissimilar to how I kind of view things in the sense that effectively correct me if I'm wrong you're saying is you know traditionally we have this view that you know it should be kind of there's a lot of focus around the individual skills you know possibly in an unopposed context mm -hmm. um where there's limited to no kind of engagement with the with with, with what you know what I often look, look at as um or refer to as game-like variables and it's just almost well. If those things don't exist, then how do we get the how do we get the place to truly understand the importance of it? And you know, I've actually got a view that even and it's not to say that those unopposed kind of practices don't have a place necessarily, because I think they do. But you know, the idea that I always kind of throw out is well, it has a benefit, it has a place, but in my opinion and my experience is better ways of working and the analogy I always use is why would I want to move at 10 miles an hour when I can potentially move at 30 on a rocky road as opposed to 10 miles out on a smooth road right um it might be bumpy it might be there but guess what eventually I'm going to get there and then if it might not look as pretty but then is the game really that pretty in the first place and then you go back to the idea about invasion and you something really interesting the language that you used it was about developing a better understanding of how to play the game Mm. and um, develop you know better synergies so just give us a bit of an example of what you mean by that and, and what does that look like in practice yeah sure so um well just sorry if i may go back a little bit so i mean we've been writing about this in in our skill acquisition 
sorry, skill acquisition group at Sheffield Hallam. And I read a really interesting paper recently by a chap uh, called Raphael Paul. So, and they and he sort of challenged this traditional no, notion of of how we might develop players. So this technique sort of orientated approach, and it sort of proposed a problem: is it training or synergizing? And and I would really agree with that. And maybe what that would look like in practice. So, um, or or to sort of develop better synergies or sort of better players that better understand how to play the game. So a, a colleague we work with or we, we sort of chat with quite a bit at Man City, Darren Hughes, he talks about, you know, developing game in, intelligence and things like occupying space, when to occupy space, when not to. Um, and, and I just don't think you can develop those types of attributes in players through certain practices. So, you know, it's it's understanding when uh, we might need to take more of a, uh, a what we would call a global approach where you might be constraining practice in a certain way or more of a local approach where we're trying to encourage maybe different skills through um, sort of principles of play or, um, you know, getting players to work out things for themselves. So, so yeah, that's to me, that's how that would manifest in practice, definitely. So, you know, because if you think about like any invasion sport, it's always constrained or globally constrained. What I mean is from the top down. So like you play football, one team goes that way, one team goes that way and you've got to get the ball in the net and there's an offside rule. And then, you know, there's certain other rules that constrain how people will engage with that game. But then I think sometimes as coaches, we layer that up and make it more or less complex. So I, I certainly met, although it was a long time ago, when I used to play rugby, you know, if we think about the global constraints on the game, pretty similar to football, um, but then coaches would overcomplicate that and you just became lost in a really complicated way of playing. But when you sort of bring it back to the nuts and bolts, you catch a ball and you run forward and you try and evade people to put the ball down over a line. Do you know what I mean? It, it's not that complicated. So, so to answer the part of the question that you said, about what that might look like, I, I personally would focus more on principles of play. And, you know, depending on the ability of the players or the level of the team or whatever it might be, it could simply be go forward, support a ball carrier. And it could be as complex as that in attack. Mm. Um and I think by doing that, over time, players do form better synergies or better interactions between each other. They start to read play, each other's play. They, they couple the behaviour more effectively to exploit space or, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm no expert. Well, I'm, I'm not even, what I know about football, you could write on a postage stamp. But when I watch Liverpool, for example, or Man City, I don't, and I might be wrong, and I'm sure you'll tell me if I'm, but I don't see players that necessarily have what we would call technic good technical skills. I see players that are engaging with the environment, high, really highly skilled in a skillful way. The way yeah. they move, the way they're, they're anticipating, the way they're manipu manipulating the opposition. Um, and quite clearly, you need. To, I mean, I couldn't go and do that, even if I was really fit. There's a lot going on there, and I'm, I'm not saying it isn't anything to do with controlling a football or. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just think that the the way they play the game is very different. 
hundred percent. I think you know, although you say it does take a a lot, but I think I think the the, the, the I guess where my mind's kind of going, you know, as you're speaking there is well, really what we what we're pointing in the direction of is well, we need to create situations where they can interact with these things in the first place. Yeah, right. Um, and I always you know, it's funny you mentioned that that you the way you just spoke there because one of the things I always say we. Well, very rarely do you get to the top level and not not it's not often down to necessarily just the technical ability because there probably isn't really much difference obviously there is outliers and, and anomalies to this but on a general level the, you know what a player can do in the premier league in terms of from a technical standpoint in comparison to that maybe of a league one player probably not that far apart but the the, the bit that probably kind of really like you know as you just quite rightly said it's the ability to make the decision under pressure, which takes the best players to the top, right? And sometimes those best players who are at the top might not be the most technically gifted ones, um, if if you even want to call it that. But they just are better at maybe processing, assessing and um, identifying the variables that will impact and influence on their ability to perform or execute actions. And I think... You know, I talk about this all the time. When it, whether I'm supporting coaches on courses, whether I'm talking, whether I'm mentoring coaches um, on a one-to-one basis, and it's just how many of the game variables are you considering, and how many of those variables are still present when you work when you're delivering your practice, and how many more specific, how many of those variables are um, presented in a way they would also be presented with on the game day. So, you know, I, I use the phrase like just because we're doing a passing practice. It doesn't mean we're working on passing. Passing just takes place in the practice. So how do you make it look like the game? So one, go back to the principles of play, and, I, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that as well because I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer. If there's anywhere to start, even before you get into the technical stuff, just just teach them the principles of the game. Just help them understand the principles of the game. You know, whatever language works to get those messages across. But fundamentally, it's an invasion game. I'm trying to get into your space. You're trying to stop me from getting in there, and vice versa. And obviously how we score in these different games, whether it be basketball, netball, football, rugby, that will be different. But I'm just trying to get into your space, right? So it's interesting. I having a conversation yesterday. In fact, if you want to simplify it for young players, what can you do to escape from the players that when you've got the ball? What can you do from, you know, not letting the opposition come and attack you? All right, brilliant. Simple. There's no, he doesn't, doesn't take a rocket scientist, right? But within that, well, what does that actually look like? Well, we don't need to tell the players what to do necessarily, what the process is, but we want to certainly set an outcome for them because I think that's where we get to a point where they can use their own creativity and their own freedom of thinking to understand, well, this does influence me, this doesn't influence me. And I think one of the careful things for me to kind of just be cautious of is that as a coach, and the phrase I like to use is when we're assessing and observing the game or whatever the practice is, are we obs- are we observing and assessing through our eyes or their experience? Mm. Because what might be a challenge for Martin might not be a challenge for Yes. Or actually, Martin has a greater depth of technical ability. Therefore, he doesn't need two yards of space. He can he can operate within one. And it's understanding. Okay, well, when does it become an influential factor, and when does it not become an influential factor, and to what extent? So. I don't know what your thoughts are on that as a as a way of thinking, but yeah, well, I think what you've done there is you've probably summarised the challenges of being a coach. Like, I think 
what where we need to get to as coaches, we need to understand or have a more of a sophisticated understanding of how to design effective practices. Now that might sound a really not well, not straightforward, but maybe easy in a box type of thing, but it's so more much more complicated than that. You know, so got gone. No, I was just gonna say, is, is it really that complicated? Because I th- I think it's complicated because is it well better yet. Is it complicated because it's actually complicated, or is it complicated because we're just not opening our eyes enough to consider what actually isn't is affecting our ability to perform? If that makes sense. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could well be right. I mean, I suppose where I'm coming from is, you know, if we've got if we're talking football, what do you have? Fifteen in a team, fifteen to twenty players, or whatever it might be. Then you've got fifteen or twenty very different individuals that you know, might have very different needs. Um, and as you say, just because you might be designing a practice to work on a specific thing, doesn't necessarily they're going to be learning or getting better at that thing that we think they're doing. Do you know what I mean? So we coaches, I mean, so I don't know, like, yeah, maybe I'm probably overcomplicating it, but I suppose the, the, the big one and what we haven't, what isn't, there's not a lot of evidence, I don't think, or there's no sort of research focus on whatever learning means or getting better at a game or you know it can be any sport in any sport in uh, or any sport sorry so you know how do we know do it is there a relationship between doing certain practices and the outcome for athletes or players or whatever it might be do you know what I mean we just I don't think we know that yet now you, you can sort of draw conclusions if you see higher performing teams and maybe ways this the, the engaging practice and all the other things that are going on, you know, to so support off the field, nutrition, you know, physiology, all these different things. Like you can maybe draw conclusions. But then I think um, you know, if we just then start copying what maybe more successful teams are doing and trying to implement that in in a different environment, I'm not so sure that's that's the best way anyway. You know, I mean, I don't really think that works because you've got different socio-cultural um, factors going on, even, you know, in the same countries. How we might think about playing football in the Midlands might be different. Our expectations might be different in London and the South. Uh, different teams might have, as in professional teams, might have different um, perceptions of what football is and how it should be played. So, you know, it's quite complicated in that sense. But yeah, I get your point. The actual on the on the pitch or on the grass, as you call it, you know, the day-to-day practices. I don't know, but I do think we need a more sophisticated understanding of of how we design constraints or use constraints or, you know, different factors to to support players to get better. I do think we need that. So I guess, you know, just building on that then, by a sophisticated understanding, are we talking about really having an understanding in in a way that we can genuinely rationalise the decisions that we're making around practice design and, I guess, um, environment development? From a coach's perspective, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, well, that's a good start, isn't it? So why are you doing it that way? Do you know what I mean? Always ask yourself, why, why am I doing it this way? Depending on where the players are at, where the teams are, what the needs are, and and uh, just going back a few comments before you, as I think you made a point that really resonated with me. One thing that I've 
really sort of focused on in my own coaching over the past two or three years is this idea of co-design. So using the players or the athletes to inform what what constraints we need to focus on in the practice. But straight away, that's challenging because in rugby, you might have more than 20 players. You know, even in football, you've got a lot of players. So you, yeah. And I, I'm not saying every player can positively contribute to that. And I do think, again, that in, humans generally are constrained, aren't they, by the way they get schooled in the UK, anyway, I'm talking, the way they're educated through school and college and university. It's very... Is some knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> you take it I, away. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, some players, I think, struggle with that because the role of a coach is to give them the answers and tell them what to do. Well, that, so it that's has the been a challenge. Isn't it? Yeah. That is the perception. And I think um, it's, it is a great point worth making because then I think one of the things that's interesting, I mean, I, I just, as you're speaking, thinking about the way I coach and some of the things that people often describe in the way I coach, oh, yes, you ask a lot of questions. And I don't know whether it's a it's, it's it's good to have this belief. I've got a belief that almost, you know, everyone's got the answers if you ask them the right question. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as time goes, and you start to understand which questions work well, but actually, coming back to what you said, really, a lot of play, a lot of people haven't been. I think just human beings generally, we don't really get a. Um, an open and honest environment in which we can feel safe enough to answer questions mm. and without the fear of getting it wrong um or at least thinking that we might get it wrong even even if there is no definitive answers right yeah well there's a power balance isn't there e- even if you you, you know you, you're at your local part with an under sevens team the, the immediate as soon as you start that session or before and after or throughout that season there's a power balance you're the coach you have a you've got an influence over that those young players those young boys and girls um you know or even you know let's take it one step further it's an academy essentially you're you you know the players are your decision aren't they you you can choose their future so or not so so there's a power balance there immediately and that's problematic and i'm not suggesting all coaches exploit that subconsciously or consciously at all but there is and you're never going to get away from that so you know and it's back to the way they're educated at school or we're educated at school so it is a challenge I just think if if you're going to adopt that or you're going to consider using some of those coaching uh, strategies behaviors whatever you want to call it I just think you need to be mindful that's going to take a long time to embed to to properly embed it into a you know, into a into a coaching environment. I mean, I've just I've just documented my experience of doing this with a performance team uh, through published work, and it so it was over two year period, and it was a real challenge. So, in and I'll just give you a brief overview, but you get some players that sort of take it as uh, an opportunity to sort of rule the roost. More domineering players will um, just just take centre stage and it's all about them. And the probably less confident players just get lost in that process. So, and I, I've got no answers, by the way, but it's just a continuous process of evaluating how, how the players are interacting with that, yeah. how they're feeling. So, it's, so I was just using simple things like a, 
after every session, we'd do like an anonymous uh, Google uh, poll. Uh, I'd have regular individual meetings with the players, getting the feedback. We'd stop certain players giving feedback in, in group team meetings because we knew they'd dominate it. So it's a real challenge. The other thing as well, you're not always getting <laughs> in good insights. So you think, all right, I'm, I'm going to listen to this individual because that's what we're doing. You know, we, we want people to contribute, but the insights are just like, I'm not so sure about that. I don't understand where that's come from. Um, yeah, or, give or give me an example of that there's a lot of there's obviously a lot of people going to be listening to this now thinking well you know i'd love to create an environment like that and i, I just want to kind of take mm. it back a, a second before you know before you provide an example of what you mean there but you know you talked there earlier about co-design and i think it's so important that a point worth making is not every single session has to be based on every single player mm. that's yeah. just a way of doing things right because you know you might, it might be that actually do you know what um, put it on on a, on a rotor or a schedule of some sort where actually got a squad of 18, right? You three are going to be um, heading up the co-design piece because there's obviously different learning opportunities in there. And I think, like you said, it's, it's a constantly a, a, a process of evaluating, reflecting, re-implement, plan, do, review, right? So I guess, you know, on that, if you know, what, give, give me some examples of the insights piece because, you know, you're right, you can have sometimes. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc last questions or you can look to kind of dig into the players insights and but i think that's the beauty of it sometimes because you want to know oh, well, what, what do they think and yeah. you want to know for good reason but actually even if you don't get the insight, I think it's important for them mm. to understand that actually that that insight there. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, but actually it wasn't quite, it wasn't that useful because you're yeah. actually trying to educate them on what what might be considered useful in the future, right? Um, I won't say educate. I think that's. Uh, I don't mean to. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, of course. Just your point, but it's like I think that's a bit condescending. I I think it's more about a reciprocal relationship between the players and and the coach. That's where I was trying to go with it. Uh, it. I mean, just to give it context, I mean, this was a high-performing team that was preparing for a like a quite a prestigious competition. Um, so, you know, these are adults um, that have been playing this particular sport for a long time. So, um, so to give you the the sort of nuts and bolts of it, the first, where we've sort of started was right. We're like right. We want you to develop the principles of play, the framework for playing. So we just handed it over, and we had no involvement. So they, what they what the players came up with with, and we sort of guided what we wanted a little bit. But we was like right. We want some pillars of performance. 
So, so what are we doing in attack? What are we doing in defence? And what are we doing in transition? And they, we didn't have any involvement with that. And they fed that back uh, in, you know, like a team meeting. And then we was like, right, so you, we refined it um, because, you know, a few points were similar and we've got clarity. And that took a long time. So, you know, what does go forward with support mean or what does support actually mean? Um, and all these buzzwords you'll have in different sports, you know, let's get clarity on that. And that that probably took six months. And then it was right. Let's start thinking of sessions we can use to focus on these points. And it was almost coming up with a plan of, you know, we really, you know, so early on in the, so this was a cycle for a World Cup, but early on in the piece, there was lots of what we would call generality of practice, where it wasn't specific or, um, you know, specificity of practice. It was just general. So a lot of the time, this was playing games that looked nothing like the sport, the target sport. It was multi-directional, um, just random games where what we were trying to do is sort of perturb the sort of traditional way of playing, break that, uh, and just creating better team synergies. And over time, we sort of got to where we wanted to. And then as we got sort of the last year of before the World Cup, we would have more specific, what we call specificity of practice. So more rehearsal of things, um, you know, more practice that you were talking about that would look like the game. Um, and, and that's not to say we didn't go back to what would you probably call development or generality of practice, but we, we were continuously moving between the two. Um, yeah, and we, we sort of went through that process, but continuously getting feedback from the players, using performance analysis in the games to say, look, you know, and getting some data so we could say, you know, this is where we're at. These are the things we're trying to achieve. Um, really technical, not technical, but really tactical things where, we, where we've developed what we think is a good threshold around and we're getting feedback on that. So, you know, and I remember actually we had a really sort of, um, what would you call it? A challenging meeting is the best way, where a few of the senior players, these are top level players, were getting quite frustrated. Like, look, we get what we're trying to do here, but we need to go back to some of this, which would be a very, what you, I don't know, like a very sort of traditional way of playing where the game was focused on a few individuals. So we had to move, we had a balance of moving between a certain way of playing, which we would, we termed um, power game, mm. and then another way so and we would move between these ways of playing in game mm. yeah so i don't know if it's, that helps you is that no 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 100 and i think it's just interesting because you know there's a few different things that are flying through my head as you're speaking and one of the things is people want to feel comfortable so that they, they you know by, by by just going off what they've said there you know those senior players are probably they, they probably have been um and they'd be interested to see if there's any you know how much insight there was there around it is it because they're the senior players and they've been around for longer they've and they have an appreciation for maybe that way of uh coaching that they've kind of felt actually you know that that's what we're comfortable with where maybe some of the younger players whether it be because they weren't confident enough enough uh, or to you know maybe step up and say something or maybe they just haven't got that experience mm-hmm. around what that looked like and i guess where i'm going with this is that we've got to be careful at the same time when I guess bringing different approaches to players and in that sometimes they might think 
they prefer one method or another because maybe their experience with a particular method or strategy that was used wasn't a positive one not because it was the wrong method necessarily but the way in which it was de delivered or implemented just didn't go to plan so maybe you know there was a coach who, who tried to use some Q&A with, with an individual, but actually the Q&A was very, very close and it was, there's always a, there wasn't a safe environment for them to kind of really answer the question and therefore they've kind of disassociated um, themselves from the idea of Q&A being an effective measure of, uh, or effective strategy for coaching, right? I don't know if you, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, well, I think any human being wants to feel safe, don't they? Whether they're in a family unit, a work, you know what I mean? So if in a coaching context you know people want to feel secure and safe certainly in a performance environment because you, you might not be here tomorrow do you know what I mean so there's, there's that element of it isn't there I think um and yeah just I mean just because it might be what will you know a sexy approach to doing things it might be some novel or what we might think is contemporary probably isn't um you know using Q&A or whatever it might be, more of a player-led type thing, it doesn't mean that it, it's necessarily what the players want. They might need it, though. That's different. Because I do think, you know, if we think about, you know, a certain sort of theoretical, or the, the way I'd unpack that from a theoretical perspective is through uh, something called ecological psychology. And I do think if we're, if we're continuously in an environment where, we're told what to do. We've got no autonomy. There's no agency. I do think you start to see certain behaviours over time. Whereas if you're in an environment where you're encouraged to do that, you know, sorry, you know, work things out for yourself, be engaged mentally and physically engaged. You're not always looking at the coach for the answer. I do think over time you see a different type of individual, a more um, responsive can see things in the game, are looking for things, are just a different type of athlete. So they might not want it. Or I don't, you know, I don't stop asking me questions, stop doing this. I don't like it. You're making me feel uncomfortable. But I think, you know, certainly if you're trying, I know it's a bit different to maybe working with in a participation setting, but if you're trying to get a, an outcome, a result, i.e. win something, I do think that you need to be a bit... Um, maybe brave persistent around using some of those methods definitely yeah it's in, it's interesting as you're speaking it kind of just goes back to it takes my mind to what i kind of say is my my ideal type of type of player or athlete um in that when i'm working with any athlete typically obviously um you want them to get better, but you know the kind of the go-to model that I want to go for is someone who's technically, tactically, and physically proficient, but psychologically and socially confident, um, to become an interdependent athlete. Interdependent meaning, in in this case, they're aware enough to understand when they have an answer for the problem or identify the problem, but they're also confident enough to understand and recognize. Actually, this isn't. This is where I need where I need coach to plug in. So it's almost that kind of like that well-rounded, you know, that holistic approach, if you like, to to what that is. And it's just them understanding when do I need the coach's help, as opposed to when do I want the coach's help, and what that might mean for them in their stage of development, recognizing that 
yeah, I might want coach's help because I know coach might have an answer for this and speed this up for me. But actually, being aware enough to say, have I exhausted my options here yet? Have I, have I, have I, have I really, have I really dug deeper in terms of my thinking and establishing what's actually happening here, and providing a solution for myself, if if that makes sense. Mm. And I think it's just, it's just really interesting. <clears throat> I think the one thing that I always go back to is. Does this only have to apply in high performance environments, right? Because you, you mentioned there about participation sports, and I think, well, eventually they get to a point where you still want to develop, right? I mean, once you set the setting, you create the environment where, you know, if it is participation, they're coming, they're having fun and whatnot. Even within that, they can still develop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, say that again, yeah, sorry. No, I was just saying that even within those participation environments, they can still develop, yeah. right? So it's almost, I think sometimes we could get to a point where with coaches they, um, that are maybe in participation environments, it's almost just about good enough. Yeah, they're, they're enjoying it. Yeah, but you can still develop and, and enjoy it, right? And it can still be, it can still take it to another level, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose it's what, if you're thinking about that specifically, those that that environment, um, you know what what's the aim of it? What you're trying to do? It's you, you you want people to develop in a in the sports sense, but yeah, then there's all all different manner of things you could develop personally. Do you know? So I mean, the only the only challenge there, I think, though, is are because these are going to be volunteers, probably probably parents. You know, is it fair to have to it? lump that on a on a volunteer coach you're expecting all these different things i'm not so sure it is um if you keep coming back every week not because mum or dad makes them go there but they want to for me that's enough you know i've got two daughters that engage in sport and one's just stopped swimming uh had enough of it and i can see why but she wants to do interesting she wants to do dance because uh well she takes part but she wants to do even more dance because it's a very totally different environment to swimming, you know. So, you know, I think maybe if we are talking specifically about participation sport, I don't know, I'm a bit, uh, the way I think about that, you know, the main thing for me would be, do they want to go back each week? And if they do, then that's a good environment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's spot on. I think just another side note on that, you know, I'm just thinking about from my own experiences, the amount of times where maybe people have gone in thinking I just want to come back each week is participation but they've never really been stretched and challenged to understand that actually there could be more here and not to say that you have to force yeah. them down a high performance route but they've never been given the platform to recognize that actually they could be doing more than that I just think back to a time when I was um working with a university team and you know with university got like first team second team third team fourth team got you know god knows how many teams they've got in some of these environments but we had players in the third or fourth team that were just there from a participation standpoint, never actually got looked at as options for maybe the second or the first team. Um, so when you start having these conversations with them, obviously these players are slightly older, but when you start having these conversations with them, it's like, oh, wow, actually, I never actually considered that. No one's ever told me that I might be good enough for that. Do you know what I mean? And it's just sometimes, I guess, exposing them to new things and new, new opportunities. And I think that's what, you know, for me, if we go back to the top of the conversation, we're talking about definitions of coaching and what that looks like. For me, that's what it is, right? It's, it's just always, I always say, uh, my role as a coach is to expose you to things that you didn't think were possible. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that what you just said there, I think that's a better way of framing it. Because, um, you know, going back to what we're just talking about, I mean, it, you know, I talk about wanting to go back every week. Even if you're playing in an academy, you should, that's, you should be feeling like that. That's not an excuse to, oh, I should put up with bad coaching or poor behaviour or whatever. But I think that's a better way of, of putting it, of framing this topic or discussion point, is that your role as a coach is to sort of push the boundaries. And that doesn't mean it's performance oriented. And what I mean by that is, oh, we've got to be win on the week or whatever. It's just, again, it's back to practice, isn't it? You can still create practices, practices that are developing a whole range of skill sets. It doesn't automatically mean straight away you need to become aggressive or really authoritarian. You know what I mean? So, you know, you can soon create practices that are really challenging, fun, engaging, is competition in it, you know what I mean? And so yeah, but that's and I think that, Yaz, is what I mean by, you know, we need a more sophisticated understanding of practice. Um, you know, because it I think quite quickly you can start pushing and challenging people through the way you design practice. It can have lots of elements to it. It could have a, you know, we we're talking before, weren't we, about the FA four corner model, you know. It could have a psychological aspect. It could have a social aspect. It could have a, you know, a, a tactical aspect. So, yeah, I think that can be achieved through um, practice design. But I don't think it means, to me anyway, it doesn't mean that, right, this is now performance. We need to start, you know, being, a, oh, it's dead serious now. You've got to listen more. No, 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 I'm a child. Like, I'm, I don't want to listen to you. I want to play or I want to do and I want to, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't know. That, I think, but what you, the point you made there is definitely a better way of framing that for me. Yeah, mm. pushing boundaries. No, I think, I think yeah, hundred percent. I think that's what it's all about, right? And I think it, in order, and I think that it's kind of the, so I guess the note that I would add, add to that, just from a coaching perspective generally, is um, or more from a personal development standpoint, is if you want that, you know, in order for them to be pushing it, you put, in order for you to get to a point where you're pushing boundaries for them. You also need to be pushing boundaries for yourself in understanding what what else is possible, what are the things that you haven't considered. And I think this is where, you know, I, I encourage kind of similar to what you said earlier on that cross pollination and looking at different sports, looking at different coaches in different environments and trying to understand. But and I think, you know, you mentioned it earlier around the why behind what you're doing. Um, but I think I think I think you know to maybe to go one step further on that, it's actually. Having an uh, having an understanding of the what for the why, meaning, well, what's your why based on, and not just saying oh because this is a feeling or a thought. Actually, have you got any th anything substantial that you can kind of hold up and say, actually, here's some, if you like, evidence to support my why. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, um, I know this. I know this uh, has been a hot topic on Twitter or whatever it's called now. But um, I, I am a firm believer. So the what, uh, I, you know, for me that is you, you've got to have a framework, some sort of framework in place that guides how you might design practice, how you might use, you know, uh, skill acquisition practices, performance analysis. So, so, and this is, I mean, this is probably a little bit more for uh, more experienced coaches that have engaged with literature and have maybe tried applying literature because it isn't easy. It has to have context. Um, so 
I, I would always be guided by a theoretical framework, whichever is your persuasion. But I, that's the way I would work because it also protects you against, oh, there's, a, there's this new coaching idea or this fad or technology is a big thing now, isn't it? Huge. Like, oh, there's this app on whatever. Try this new app. But, well, does it align to this theoretical framework I'm using? You know, does, how does it how does it work with that? Can we use the theoretical framework or some principles of it to implement or utilize this technology better? Um, does it you know how does it protect us from these different ideas? And I just think as a coach, that's a really good way um, to design, inform, evaluate practice. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think what it does do is it gives you a point of reference, right? In the way that you can kind of look at maybe what you were doing in comparison to what you're now doing and see where things are further developed. So I think having that that piece to kind of support the why and not just base it on just observation and just, if you like, uh, memory recall, you know, you, you can keep a track of it. And you, I think it's interesting, you know, I think back to some of the stuff that I used to do when I first started coaching. I'm sure you'd be the same. You think, blimey, what was I doing? <laughs> But yeah, it's one of them ones, right? The the more you know, the the more you know them. Well, if you knew better, you do better, right? Um. So, and I think that's probably the biggest challenge that you know I'd, I'd throw to coaches and really get them to start thinking about in this conversation as well is that what what can you take away from the conversation today that a maybe has kind of confirmed some stuff for you? What is something that you thought actually that's quite interesting? And, and then just you know the challenge would be if you found something interesting in the conversation, how you how do you intend on applying it as you've just said taking the literature taking the insights taking the information and actually putting it into practice and and obviously what that does what does that look like in your context and i think this is equally just as important to understand that actually might be some really really useful bits that come from whatever i've engaged with whether it's this podcast or elsewhere and understanding that that's really useful it's really insightful but actually the context which i'm currently in is probably not the right context to maybe apply that specific thing in yeah, exactly that. Um, Keyword there, Yaz, for me is context. So um, the, the points you were making there, what really resonated with me, so this is going to sound really nerdy, but when I was working, back to this team I've recently worked with, when I was actually in competition in the at the World Cup, so I had probably three or four papers that, um, and before, through the preparation, that I used to refer to on a regular basis, so after awkward conversations, after heated meetings, I'd be like, yeah, are they right? Like, what, what, where are we at here? What? And I'd refer back. So and just sort of check and challenge myself. But the key point with all this for me, if, if we're wanting coaches to try and apply whatever it is, some ideas from theory, models of practice, whatever, it has to have context. So if it's in a book, in a journal article sat on a shelf somewhere it's it's got no context it's just on a bit of paper you need to give it context and try it in your environment because as you've said like you're working with different individuals different players different expectations different challenges so you've got to try these things and give it context to really make sense of this knowledge um you know so so it becomes experiential knowledge and then and and that's actually where how we should be working as academics. We should be working mm -hmm. directly, directly with coaches in a, and it's not in a hierarchical sense because 
coaches are in a in a lab every time they step on the field or on the court or poolside. They're in they're in the, that's their lab. That's where they're testing, evaluating, developing data, you know, experiential data. And and we sh- and academics should be in, involved in that reciprocal process. It, you know, if we want to understand more about coaching, that's where all the questions are coming from. So next time you step on a on a field coaching football players, you'll be generating research questions. Why has mm. that happened? Why has he reacted like that? Why is she doing that? You know, they're questions that need answering. Mm. Um, you know, so it's definitely a reciprocal relationship that we need to focus on, 100%. No, I fully agree with you. And I think the key takeaway message from me there is less so about the questions that are coming up, but more more so about the need for coaches to be aware of what questions are coming up. Because those questions, like you said, they're there, whether, whether we identify them or not. Um, and I think you know, the coaches will be looking at certain things and they probably will be you know, noticing things, mm. but whether or not they're actually asking the questions to themselves or even in a, in a, in a outright context with the players, then obviously it's a different it's a different matter, but I think first and foremost is ask yourself what are the problems yeah. that are existing in the environment, what what are the observations I'm actually making, and actually genuinely try to be aware of what those situations might be. Yeah, well, I think doing that anyway it just makes you more self aware as a coach. I mean, a lot, and this isn't a criticism, but I, when I think back to when I first started coaching, I was like just anxious about oh, where, where's the balls? Like how many cones we got? Like all I was interested in is what you might call operational things like where's the kit, what pitch we're training on. And I was, do you know what I mean? I was just blagging my way through a session, hoping that nothing, no situation arose where I needed to answer a complex question or, you know, give what players might think is a, a good answer. But I think as you get more experience, you clearly you move away from that and you know, that's you don't even think about any of that. You're more interested in the practice, identifying, you know, needs of players, you know, working out strategies to be better. And I think when you're in that situation, you're probably in a place where you can be more observant, more self-reflective, and you see you're seeing different things because all the all that stuff's just it just happens. You you just become skilled at it. You don't even think about it. But and I think when you get there. And I know when I, I'm working in an environment and I'm sort of moving between being a coach and a researcher, you just become aware of so much more, and it make it definitely improves you as a coach, hundred percent. Yeah. No, I, 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 I could just echo that, and I think just as time's gone, just try to give more consideration for all the things that actually, like I said at the top of the conversation, that happens with players. It's what are the ability, what are the variables which impact on my ability to perform and execute actions. So I think the same applies for coaching. What you know, how much are we considering? What's actually going to have an influence on our ability to perform as coaches, and support the players in our environments? So, are no, really, really good stuff. Martin, I'm, I'm conscious of time, and I'm you know I'm really, really grateful for the time that you're giving me so far. But I'm just I'm just wondering if there's any key takeaways from yourself around anything that we've discussed, what would those be for coaches to maybe think about and really tackle? Yeah. Uh, how do we digest this, Jazz? I think, so I'll set myself a challenge. Let's say three key takeaways. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to say answers that we get all the time, you know, like don't stop learning and all that. Um, I think 
value the insight of players, even if you're working with an under sevens, and I don't know how young you go in football uh, or, or working in any sport, you know, obviously you're going to change the, the, the detail and level of that, but always value the insight of players. Um, that, that's really important. And, and become comfortable at doing that because at times you'll get told things you don't like and it will make you feel uncomfortable. Well, that's good. That's that's. I'd almost see that as a, a KPI. If that happens, then something good's happening in that environment. Uh, that interaction between you and the the, the players is good. Um, so that's one. The other one would be. Um, I, I I don't know who this is aimed at, but I think understand what your game model is. So if it's football, because I'm guessing there's a lot of football coaches who are going to listen to this. If it's football understand what your game model is. What I mean by that is how are you trying to play the game and, and appreciate that can change. But And then understand or work out ways you're going to deliver that. Um, but be mindful that if it's very hierarchical driven, i.e. it's all about the coach, that's going to be problematic. Um, so you need to understand how players can help you deliver that game model. Um, and you, that's something you can work out as a coach and you'll know depending on um, a whole range of different factors. So that's two. Three, I would say um, uh, just value, because again, if people are engaging with this, I'm guessing they're going to be reading and, and uh, looking at literature. I would say if you are going to engage with literature, it can have value, but you need to give it context and be patient with that and appreciate maybe not everybody's got time because it could mean losing a job or but if you have got if you are in an environment where you, that's not a constraint, just be patient and try things evaluate it, self reflect, speak to people that have written things and say, "Oh, you know, I've read your article or your book chapter or whatever." And I'm trying things, but this is what I'm finding, because that could that could be a really good process for a coach to go through and give give the research people some ideas about where to go next, you know. And equally, the researchers can help the coaches as well. So that would be three takeaways, yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot in there, and I think you know just to kind of wrap it all up for, from for me, it's just really. <laughs> plan do review <laughs> literally put things into place have a plan understand why you're doing it what does it look like you know kind of telling telling into what you said there and having a clear understanding of why i'm doing it in that way and and within the whole thing when might it change and for who it might it change for so i think you know there's some great stuff in there Martin. i really appreciate getting uh, you know your time taken to have this conversation with me and there's been loads of loads of key things for me to think about and hopefully the same for the for the listeners as well so massive thank you martin thank you again no worries Yaz. glad to, glad to chat with you it's been uh, enjoyable for me so yeah thanks appreciate it well there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. 
We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.